Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Better Events Podcast. We have an amazing episode that we are going to share with you today. We really like these types of episodes where we dive in deep, and so that's what today is going to be. So thank you for being here. This is Mary Davidson talking, and I am joined by our co-host, Logan Clements. Logan, how's it going? It's going, you know, we're, we're in busy season, but I feel like this is a nice little breather to reflect back and give our listeners kind of a case study on a recent hybrid event we did. So I'm excited to share this. We're always excited. Gosh, I can't get away from that buzzword, but very excited. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we like to start with like a little icebreaker, as y'all know, just for fun to help us get going. And so it's always random. So well, most of the time it's random. And today's is very random. So Logan, here's our question. Ice cream or cookies? What do you think? <laughs> My instinct is going to be ice cream. But the more I sit with it, I want to say cookies because they apply more times of the year that I want a freshly baked cookie. But I'm going to stick with my first answer, ice cream. I have more, uh, I feel like, visceral childhood memories around happy moments of the ice cream man coming to the pool that I used to go to as a kid slash then work at as an adult or chasing down the ice cream man on the beach. Could they, in, on the East Coast, we called him the fudgy wudgy man. And he pushed a, uh, a cooler on big snow tires or snow tires, sand tires, and you could buy, you know, a ice cream sandwich off him for a dollar and he would walk up and down the beach. So ice cream. Mary, how about you? Ice cream or cookie? Sir. Yeah. You have so um, many follow-up questions. <laughs> I, I do. Uh, next episode, all about ice cream and cookies. Stay tuned. Um, I love both. I'm going to say cookies because what I appreciate is like a really large, warm, gooey cookie. So like Big cookies are kind of a trend right now, and I'm here for it. I love it, love it, love it. So, but specifically chocolate chip, like keep it basic. Those are my favorite. I always love a really good big chocolate chip cookie. Yum. I'm down. <laughs> I like it. Hopefully, yeah. the listeners, we didn't make you too hungry before we dive into something that's not as nearly as delicious, but hopefully <laughs> just as thought-provoking as our icebreaker. Uh, this week, we're talking about a hybrid event that we both, Mary and I, did a nonprofit fundraising event. Um, and the reason why we chose it is I just think it's really important that you can learn by hearing how other people do events. You can learn definitely more by actually being at the physical event itself. But um, this is just something that we do on the podcast that I feel like we focus on education and these case studies that we've been doing are just a great way for you to learn and learn some of the, we'll share the meat of this is really the lessons that we learned that you can take home and apply to your next event, but we're going to kind of give you a rundown first of, of kind of the structure of what everything looked like. Yeah. So um, we'll just start off by, like Logan said, setting that structure. So Logan, tell us what was the events? What was the purpose of the event? What was the North Star? Yeah. So again, we have that episode that you can go back and listen to. What was it, Mary? Episode one of the one Better Events podcast yeah. or two about why your event needs a North Star. And the one for this organization was to focus on fundraising. So raising the money they need to do the research that their organization is based on. And so they wanted to bring their group together to both celebrate the cause of the organization, but also to encourage folks to donate. And one of the interesting things that they did is they didn't just focus on the event itself. This happened in February uh, 2022, but they actually did a very... Um, well-defined peer-to-peer campaign starting back in October of last year, where they tapped into kind of captains in their community to do different satellite events, chili cook-offs, fun runs, just a wine night at someone's house to kind of raise some funds ahead of the event day. And then it culminated with this, what we're calling a hybrid nonprofit dinner, but what it really was 
was uh, the audience was 100% virtual and we had an in-person shoot at a private residence um, with a small audience of probably about 10 people and, and in addition to the people who were on screen. And so that's why I still call it hybrid, even though you might call it virtual, because if you were the attendee, it was 100% virtual for you. Yeah. And so you kind of touched on uh, the components, but can you give us a brief rundown of the event? And also, um, actually, we're going to get to that later. I was going to say, also tell us about who worked the event, but leave you hanging on that one. Tell us about uh, the rundown of the event. Yeah, it was a, since it was a virtual dinner, they did a really cool concept that I've seen both as an attendee and now as a, as a planner and a producer was doing a cook along. So you, they hired a chef who then had prepared based on certain ingredients, a meal that they were then going to lead you through. So you got a mailer to your house that provided you, I think it was like a salmon dinner that you would then cook as the attendee at your house along with the chef live during the virtual event, which I think is a fun spin. We talk about, you know, different ways to engage with attendees. And this is something that makes it feel like the event was on Zoom, but it didn't really feel like a Zoom event because all our attendees were in their kitchen actually cooking things. And I did this as an attendee for a different organization and I kind of liked it. It was fun. It was something different. I was standing up. I was moving around. I was having a drink. They did a dinner pairing with wine. So that was kind of a nice combination. Um, and during that dinner, they were doing a combination of a live host with the, with the chef, walking them through the different steps of the meal and sprinkled in. They were also doing call to actions for folks to donate to the cause. And it kind of came to this crescendo with a keynote um, from one of the lead, the executive director, the leader of the organization to really just kind of do that hard ask. Um, and then they had a little bit of entertainment pieces. They had a virtual piano player join a couple times. So they had a little bit of everything, which I think was why I like this as a very good case study for our listeners of just seeing what is possible uh, and just giving you ideas for your next hybrid event. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, what was the tech setup like, both yeah. um, virtually and on site? You know, I love to talk about the tech side of things, mm -hmm. things that I feel like 2018, we would never believe that I was currently saying, but <laughs> the tech setup, we kind of had a mixture of virtual and on-site uh, setup because it was hybrid. So we had on-site, we had a local uh, audiovisual AV company that provided cameras as well as some uh, broadcasting software to be able to show slides both in the room to the speakers and the cameras were capturing the video and the audio of everything that was happening in the room. So the chef who was cooking and we had lighting as well. And we also did need to play audio into the room for those 10 people who were on site. So they also had to play what we were playing in Zoom into the room. And then part of our team was virtual and we had our, what I call a streaming engineer. You could call them like a broadcast technician. Um, but it is fun fact, my brother, Luke, does these things. And we're actually going to have him on the pod to talk about another event that we've done mm -hmm. together. But he has software that he's able to run remotely from his, his house in uh, New York. And so he was remote supporting. And one of the things when I was first thinking through this hybrid setup, I was on site. Mary was with me. We were both on site. The client was on site. And Luke was virtual. I... It's definitely grown on me and it's now a tactic I think I'm going to take in future projects because it did create a redundancy for us or a backup plan, as you might have heard it, listeners. But the fact is, during rehearsals, we had the internet blip at this house that we were at. So we froze. Our camera feeds froze. But because Luke was in a separate location, our streaming engineer, one of my teammates, was in a different location, he still stayed in the Zoom call. And it was this great kind of redundancy of realizing that like, if the internet went out in your location and your team was 100% on site, the Zoom would have crashed completely versus having somebody, one per even one person remote, gave us kind of that backup plan that he could throw a slide up that said, 
you know, we'll be right back and play some music while we got spun back up. And luckily it didn't happen during the event, but that was something I think it was, I'd like to give myself credit. It was in the back of my head, but it was definitely something when we were on site, I was like, oh, this was a very smart idea. Yeah. And Logan and I are part of another event that is kind of doing this as well. And I, I hope it kind of becomes like a, a thing because it is honestly so brilliant and whether it was an accident or not, I'm glad that we had this set up for this event for sure. So um, with that in mind, I, I keep saying we, and Logan hinted at this at the beginning, but what was the staffing plan? So Luke was there. Well, he wasn't there, you know, but he was a member of the team and who else was there? Yeah. So we got um, my, I got hired by the client to just produce this virtual dinner. And they, again, were looking to me to kind of decide how many people I needed, what we needed. And so it was uh, myself on site. And then it turned out we were going to be having to do some kind of fundraising pieces and other things. So I brought Marion as kind of an on-site stage manager slash also fundraising monitor. And then we had the entire on-site AV team. So we had two camera operators, a graphics person, a video director. And again, if you're, I'm saying any terms you don't know, feel free to, to, to Google search them. But a lot of it was just to people to operate the cameras, the graphics, everything we needed on site and set all that equipment up and take it all down once we were done. And then Luke was my uh, broadcast engineer, streaming engineer who was virtual. So, and I think I'm going to tease it, but we'll, we'll talk about it later for lessons learned. But I honestly could have used a third, a third person on site from our team to help just because there were so many things that just required a second set of hands um, when we were already there, I'm just kind of needing to to help get set up. But so that came out to three people on my team. And I believe our AV company had about a total of five um, to pull off this virtual event. And the technology that we used for the actual virtual event was Zoom. So if you were an attendee, you just log got a Zoom link and you logged into Zoom. But we were using um, some other technologies to help with the streaming. We were using OBS for Luke for the streaming. And our on-site graphics operator was using a platform called vMix, which is very similar to OBS and doing broadcast software things. Yeah. So it was, it was a fun event and it was super great to be a part of it and to be able to see, um, that hybrid type of, of scenario. And like we said, it was a different kind of hybrid event, but, but really cool to be able to be a part of that. So as Logan mentioned, there's lots of lessons learned, um, from the event and that's how every event is. There's always lessons learned. And if there's not, then I think that's a missed opportunity because there's always something that you can find that you just, there's need to... always something. You yeah. Can learn. Always I, mean, something. I, I think I strive for like the perfect event, but when everything goes according to plan and a thousand percent perfect, it's kind of boring sometimes. So that's yeah. kind of part of the fun. I feel like of what we do is that you're constantly learning and changing. And I guess I, I should have probably caveat a little bit earlier, but Hybrid is this newer space for a lot of event vendors, professionals, and clients. So like this client, I was helping them do their first ever hybrid dinner. They tried a couple of virtual kind of webinars, but they've never done something like this. So again, they're turning to me to help provide that solution. And I am pretty transparent with them that I have experience in some of this, but at the same time, I've never done their exact specific event. So you're always kind of constantly learning. Um, but I'll kind of jump in my first lesson that was Mary got to witness this with me was uh, the venue that we were at was a private residence. So it was someone's house, wasn't a hotel or a professional venue where you might have more formalized agreements set up with. But I would really encourage you, no matter if it's private or a formal venue, confirm with your host what times you can set up and take down and what times you can be in the venue and when you need to be out. And this was something that was really important for rehearsal day as well as the event day. So we set up the day before, which I will say that's a bonus extra tip. We, that was great to set up and make sure everything we wanted 
all the cameras worked. It was streaming where we wanted to stream. We could hear everything we needed to hear. Uh, but one of the things is we did not know what time we had to leave. And that ended up making us having to adjust on the fly, realizing we didn't have as much time as we thought. So if you are a planner, a producer, or even an event host looking for a venue, it's really important to ask, do I have access to your event the day before the space, the day before my event? Yes or no. And especially if it's a no, then what time can I start setting up on the event day? And there's a, is there a certain time I have to be out of your event site? Because all of this has not only just implications on your show and like what you can put together in that amount of time, but it also has labor implications and costs. So it might cost more money from your AV company because they have to set up and break down that same day. So they need more people to help them do it because they have to do it faster. Or, you know, maybe you, you need to then pay for meals for folks if you're coming in two days. You need to pay for lunch on one day and lunch the other day. Um, so it's just really important to make sure you confirm that what time you can get in and if there is a time you have to leave by. Yep, definitely. Love it. Oh, good lesson. Um, our next one, do you mind if I... Yeah, please go, Mary, because this, this was a great call out by you. No, yeah. So, I mean, okay, so this one is that um, we learned perhaps it would be best to add in a teleprompter or notes function on the confidence monitor so that the hosts and speakers can read from there versus using cue cards. So we ended up using cue cards. And I remember when this was kind of happening, I was like, all right, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> and, and it's because we, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And at that moment in time, we needed the cue cards. And so that's what we were going to do is just write them out. Um, but in hindsight, yeah, it was like a, a teleprompter would have really been a lot smoother. Now, that being said, the cue cards like worked and I was actually impressed by that. I don't know about you, Logan, but I was like, oh, yeah. okay, here we, we go. We took a page so. out of like SNL's book. They were really big cue cards listeners, like huge ones, yeah. but it was really helpful in keeping our MC and everybody on track with what had to be said at each part of the part of the evening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they help a lot too when it was, um, we had a, a really brief amount of time to be able to prep the MC. And so, um, the cue cards or teleprompting, any any scenario like, like that was necessary. So maybe teleprompting would have been like the elevated experience, but cue cards, they still worked. Yeah, no, that's so helpful. And I, just a good way to, and this is something, if you're kind of debriefing post-event, it's always nice to talk to your clients or if you're an event host, always be thinking about how you can kind of level up. How can you, how can you go one step beyond what you just did? And that's something maybe I just always have embodied from my background in sports where I always am like, it's like you look at the film, the game tape, and you're like, how can we get better? And I think that's really helpful with events. So that's something where cue cards work this year. That's not saying cue cards wouldn't work next year. But if you're looking for a way just to level up the polish on your event or just level up how much you're using technology, doing something like, like a teleprompter would totally be that next step. That would just, if anything, just add value to your event. Um, and Mary, I think I want you to tackle our, our third takeaway from this lesson. Okay, our third takeaway was to add a more defined designated giving moment, which may have increased donations. Um, yeah, this is this is something that that I personally like to do a lot for events, and it, it's really key. I think maybe perhaps for any event, but especially a virtual event, I feel like people need a moment. Um, so once you make an ask to give them a, a moment to actually give rather than just continue on your program, because then all of a sudden they have to multitask. I will say, Logan, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like there was kind of a moment. There was like a musical performance and a video, and that kind of was the the giving moment in my interpretation for this type of event. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on it? I think so as well. I think it's just something when you're doing such a cool activity where you're cooking a, di a dinner or we've done other, I've done 
you know, drag trivia or different activities where you're just kind of breaking the mold of what we would normally assume a, a virtual event might be. I think making sure you're having those more formal call outs. So maybe for this one, just adding an additional one in addition to that moment that you're talking about, Mary, um, or just for anyone, if you think that donations will just organically happen, you do kind of need to script that into your content. And it's one that sometimes is a little more obvious when you have a little bit more of just kind of a present and ask to give, or maybe you have a silent auction. That's why most places have silent auction, live auction, raise the paddle. They have multiple avenues for you to donate. So I think making sure that you're just injecting that into your program could definitely help you um, while still focusing on the fun part. Cause that was also, I think the magic of this event was, it was so different. It made it really fun and memorable. And the organization was super happy with all the money they raised. And this was just another way that they could level it up for next year would be just having, adding another, um, more de designated giving time or function way they could have given. Right. And I, I will say one additional add on too, is like, for those who aren't as familiar with fundraisers, there's like your traditional gala type auction where it's like, you have a raise the paddle, you have like this distinct moment where people are giving and the event's really all about giving, but there are lots of other different kinds of fundraisers like this kind. And I love these kinds where it is less in your face. People know why they're there, especially if they're friends of your organization and you've like had good communication with them about what to expect of the event. So you don't necessarily need to be in your in your face to people about giving, but there's still room for like designated times or asks or calls. It's just not as in your face as like a raise the paddle is. So hopefully if you, you know a little bit about fundraising, that, that makes sense. But I think this is a really great example of there are other ways to raise funds and it's not just your typical auction. So this was this was fun for that reason. Yeah. And I didn't mention in kind of the overview of the event, they didn't charge for this event. So it was actually free to attend. So the dinner that everyone received was free. All the product was donated by some very generous sponsors. And so something like that, where the goal was you would donate the value of the meal that you'd receive for free, kind of like that more traditional gala model, like we've talked about in person. But I think if anything, sometimes you just have to be even more upfront you know, with telling people that or this meal you're eating tonight was valued at X, Y, Z, Yeah, you know, like suggested um, donation, this amount. Yeah, yeah. And verbalizing that because I think it was on a lot of communication, but it's just one of those that, you know, could help impact future, future events if they're trying to keep this format. And my next uh, lesson learned would be just adding another surprise and delight moment to the evening. These performances were really fun. The piano player was a great kind of interlude in the midst of the of the cooking, but thinking of like, what other ways can you surprise and delight your guests? Because you have kind of what they're expecting. And I, I honestly, I can't think of an idea right now. <laughs> Mary, if you have one, feel free to jump in. But just thinking of something, whether it was, oh, and we're all giving you a coupon for a free dessert that'll be delivered to your house or something that just would spark some something else to it, I think would be another way that they could just elevate and you can elevate your next hybrid uh, fundraising event. Yeah, for sure. For virtual and hybrid, you do kind of have to be more distinct in the in that, oh, wow, type of creation of a moment. Because with in-person, you get smacked in the face with it typically. And it's usually because of a the environment or the vibe or some experience. So yeah, virtual and hybrid, I would say, has to be more intentional with creating those moments. But um, yeah, that, that's a great one. The next one I can tackle if you'd like. Um, so this is our, our fifth lesson learned, which is to add a floor manager to be the host's wrangler, uh, who can switch out microphones, who can relay messages um, to the the show caller or the producer, to the talent, and just being basically an extra set of hands. 
And I, I remember, Logan, there was one time when um, one of the guys on the production team was like, can you go give this microphone to this person? And I was like, I can't because I have to press this button coming up. And so, um, yeah, that was just, I guess, an example of why why that would have been been awesome. But I think that I will say I think we did well with the staff that we had. But if we're talking about, yeah, an elevated experience, I think that would just streamline the process a bit more. Yeah, we definitely made it work. I, it was just one of those realizations that I had is like that I was kind of in the role of producer show caller, um, that there were certain things that I would have loved to have just say, hey, can you know XYZ go tell this person that? And I didn't have that person because you were monitoring the um, donations and like you had a job that was requiring your attention the entire event. And so when we needed to hand that microphone to someone, I had to run or walk around and hand it to them. And that was fine and we made it work. But I also know for some of our speakers, like if they see me moving, like they're like, oh, what, something's wrong versus like, mm-hmm. I'm the only person who can carry this microphone from this part of the room to the other. So for me, it was just realizing as I build my budgets and understand my staffing plan, that third person would have been so helpful. Because honestly, the worst case scenario, I feel like, is you could have an overstaffed event if it ended up being run, you know, you didn't necessarily need that person. But I'm so, I try to be so intentional with my budgets that to me, I was like, I would have found roles and a job for that person, even if we didn't need them to do these, you know, tasks that you mentioned as as what came out of it. But really think about if you're getting ready for a hybrid event, and that's why it's a lesson learned, like really think through who's going to do what at your event and try to do that as much as you can ahead of time, because sometimes it's like that event day. And if you find like you haven't talked through some of those crucial conversations, then maybe you want to have an extra assistant or manager, stage manager or something on hand um, because it it just never hurts. And that's something I've learned from my sports. We always have usually not a small army of stage managers to help run things around or find somebody. Um, So it's just helpful, helpful to have without necessarily making it way more expensive for your client adding one more person isn't really going to have that that huge of a budgetary implication and you're going to be way less stressed if you do. Um, and my last tip was really thinking about from, again, from a budget standpoint, something that comes with hybrid. Mary and I both were on site. So there were just some like on-site costs that I'm still, you know, having to reframe my budgets around because it was things I did a couple years ago and then we were all virtual for a while. So if you're putting together a budget that has any kind of an on-site component, just don't forget about those weird things that sneak up like, your printing costs, if you're printing the run a show or a script for a speaker, if you're doing it at a hotel, they charge you a good amount. That's where they're making some of their money back, I feel like, <laughs> post-pandemic. But it usually costs money. I'm at this point on the market for a really small printer I could like travel and fly with, so I could just print things from my hotel room. But printing is one of them. Another one, think about your comms, like a walkie-talkie. Uh, I think we've mentioned on this podcast before, Mary, Unity, which is a app, a walkie-talkie app. We'll link in the show notes. Um, that you can use, but that does require a subscription fee. Thinking about like water and drinks for the crew that's on site. These are again, things that we didn't have to worry about when we're virtual Um, and just any other miscellaneous items, making sure you have a space in your budget that you are either accounting for those when you're doing like a project rate for your event, or you're just being clear of like, how are those costs getting covered? So Mary, was there any other lessons learned that you wanted to share with our listeners from this hybrid fundraising dinner? I think that sums that up really well, well, but I do want to say uh, shout out to Logan, because when I was looking at you as you were, you know, producing and doing the show calling for this event, there was like 
so much going on at one time. Like you had two different comm systems in your ears and that alone is very overwhelming, let alone actually visualizing what's happening and talking to speakers and stuff like that. So shout out to you. It was really impressive to be able to see like one person be able to handle all those things happening at one time. So that was a really cool experience. So good job. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate it. And I will shout it out right back to you because I will say I was definitely, you relieved some of my stress when you were on site because there were USBs sometimes getting shown to me of like, we have updated slides and it was great to go, Hey, my colleague, Mary can help you with that. And then knowing <laughs> at the end of the day, I was like, Mary, I had never, I didn't even see the USB after is it everyone? And you're like, it got where it needed to go. So I think it's just one, we always pride, like both of us here are one woman shows normally, but there's also no problem in asking for help and getting extra hands to help you with these events because it, it is something that's just going to, you're going to thank yourself afterward. So I was very happy to have you there as well, Mary. Thank you. It's a good time. I, yeah. We're, well, hey, we're, we'll be back. The client wants us back again. So this is all, <laughs> all good things. Um, so before we wrap the episode, I think it is time for our bonus tip, right, Mary? Yes. All right. So I have our bonus tip for today. And this one is kind of hitting close to home for me. So we're, you know, not quite halfway through the year yet. And um, something that I've learned, so as some of you may not know, I started my business in 2020. So as I get like a full, like I'm now over a year and each time I get like a full year or start a new year under my belt, I learned something new. And for this year, part of it's probably because we're still, you know, recovering with the pandemic, but I noticed that I really thought that there were clients that I worked with last year that would want to not even want to work with me again this year, but like just... I just assumed kind of like this will probably work out. We'll probably work together again this year. Now, what's changed between now and then is like people are still uncertain. Last year was a weird year. They went virtual. Now their needs are different. And there's just a lot of reasons why perhaps that might not be the case. And so while I wouldn't say I was like relying on them, it has been kind of a learning curve to realize that don't depend on repeat clients. So just make sure that you continue to try to get new clients um, and then hopefully you can have both of those kinds of clients, but I just would say don't depend on them. Keep putting in the work because nothing is guaranteed when it comes to this type of entrepreneurial event planning and producing. So there is my bonus tip for today. It is, yeah, it is such a good one, Mary, because I think it's helpful to have those repeat folks. It's helpful to kind of float it at the end of an event. If like, hey, does it sound like something you'll be doing next year? Um, if so, or as you get busier, you can then say, Hey, I'd suggest you reach out to me, you know, X months ahead of time, just so I know, um, right. or as the lingo that I'm using right now is soft hold. So soft I'm getting hold. folks to I will give pencil me, you in. they're giving me an event date and I say, I have a soft hold and I'll mark it down on my calendar. And essentially it just means if I get an offer for an event that would overlap, I would go back to that first original client who's put the soft hold on and see if I can get right. them to confirm before the other folks confirm. So just something to think about, but I love that Mary. I feel like that that's a good note to end end with. Yeah, definitely. So um, thank you again, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. Please follow us and reach out to us on Instagram.